You are listening to Heart Food Podcast, Episode 3. Welcome to Heart Food Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Pardo, nutritional therapy practitioner and private chef. This is a show that tells you the truth about food, nutrition, your body, your body image, and your mind, all with a hefty dose of real talk. This show is meant to inspire you and make you feel more confident and comfortable in your own skin. Hello, why do I sound so reminiscent of Mrs. Doubtfire? Anyway, thank you guys so much for all of the amazing feedback that you've given me so far for the first two episodes. If you haven't listened to them yet, you can go ahead and listen to them. They'll be available forever, I guess. Um, Did you listen to last week's episode with my mama? It was a great episode. I thought she sounded awesome. Isn't she the most professional lady in the world? Um, So many amazing qualities, but um, she's definitely the most professional woman that I know. Um, First of all, let's do some quick housekeeping because I kind of realized that I hadn't done that in the other episodes. So first of all, I have a website. I'm sure most of you know that, and I do include the website in the show notes. But the website is where I have my blog. You can kind of read about me. Uh, The show notes are listed there under the blog post and the articles tab. So you can kind of see references to things that I talk about in each of the episodes. It's where I'm going to have my future courses. It's kind of like my hub where you can see my services and, you know, kind of everything that's going on. I also wanted to mention that I send out a newsletter every Thursday And I write about a whole bunch of different things. Um, I write about, obviously, nutrition, the things that I talk about here. But it's really just like weekly reminders and um, things to inspire you, similar to what we're talking about here. But it's just a different medium that you can absorb what I'm putting out there. So you can subscribe to the newsletter, which is called uh, Heart Food Newsletter also. Right there on the website, you can see sign up for updates and you can just do it there. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook at Ashley K. Pardo. And this is going to be a Q&A episode right now. And I really want to be able to do many of these going forward. And you can submit your questions, pretty much any question that you have on any topic. You can submit all of those to either my Instagram, you can send me a direct message, you can contact me through the website. But preferably, you can email me at heartfoodpodcast at gmail.com. That way I can kind of, you know, have all of the questions housed in one place. And I'll be able to see what sort of themes that we have for the questions. So I can kind of group them and categorize them. So I'm able to be efficient and answering them and everything. And I quickly wanted to mention, I kind of mentioned this in the first episode that I did that, okay, we're kind of just getting into it now. (laughs) Stopping the housekeeping. This is kind of an abrupt transition. But um, I really wanted to emphasize to you guys that when we talk about food and we talk about our bodies and everything, I am a big component of, or no, 
not component, proponent of kind of looking outside of ourselves for a greater purpose, a greater picture, really into spirituality. Um, It's been a huge part of my life, kind of the guiding force of my life for many years now. And it has really provided me the greatest um, return, I guess, in everything. And it's just given me a deeper meaning to everything that I do. And, you know, you don't have to be spiritual. You don't have to believe in what, you know, something that I'm preaching about. You just, I think, have to find something greater than yourself that you're working towards, uh, that you look up to. And I'm going to get deep here for a second. So just kind of bear with me because I really want you guys to, I guess, piece together why I talk about so many of the things that I do. But I want you to realize that, you know, there's something greater that's out there. Through time, we begin to realize that what exists out there exists within us too. So there's this powerful energy, this powerful source out there who even knows what it is I love talking about it but the reason that I do what I do is you know so we can and the reason that I put all this information out there is so that we can really take care of ourselves and we can feel good as possible body mind and spirit so we can come to this earth and just do what we were meant to do and inhabit our full potential. So there's going to be an undercurrent kind of of that, of you know, in all of these shows and everything. And I just kind of wanted to put that out there immediately so you can kind of understand the references that I'm going to be doing. You know, nothing like crazy or whatever. It's just like very approachable uh, mindfulness and, and mindset because I really do believe that we can make changes. But until we really you know, again, look for that greater source outside of ourselves, and then recognize it within ourselves, change doesn't last. So I wanted to put that out there. And I also wanted to say, it's really about learning that life is not perfect. And it's not about perfection or achieving or accomplishing, even those even though those can be great. But it's rather how we handle what happens to us in our lives. That's really what it's all about. And at the end of this episode, I'm going to be reading one of my favorite quotes from Richard Rohr, who is uh, a spiritual author. And he has many amazing books, just makes all of this information kind of really approachable. And this quote changed my life. I shared it in my newsletter this week, and I read it a couple months ago on my Instagram stories while I was in my PJs one morning. And I hope that you tune in or stay tuned in for that. But again, this episode is going to be a Q&A episode. I have four questions that actually five. Let's let's see how many we get to. If not, we will carry them over to another Q&A episode. But I'm going to answer them as best I can. Keep in mind, I am not a doctor. I'm not a medical professional. So you know, none of these are like that crazy into, you know, that you have to like consult your doctor or whatever, but just keep that in mind. I am, you know, consider myself pretty educated in the world of nutrition, but just kind of need to put that disclaimer out there. So the first question that I got for this week 
was about the body mass index or the BMI. And how important is it to gauge our BMI as a measure of health? So first of all, what is the BMI? The BMI is your weight to height ratio. That's all it is. And I think a long time ago, we gave, or as a society, we kind of gave it a lot more weight than um, we do right now. I think we're kind of shifting away from that. The BMI rates people from underweight, normal, overweight, and then obese. So kind of four categories on a sliding scale. They measure in a complicated way. It's not straightforward weight to height. And I actually don't think that the BMI is an accurate measure of health. For example, if you think of like athletes and, you know, really, really healthy athletes that might be heavy, some of them are considered obese just because of how they weigh compared to their height. And that's just really, it doesn't tell you anything about how healthy a person is. It just tells you the relationship between your height and weight. And I know we've kind of been conditioned to put a lot of importance on it, but I really don't think it's that important. There are other great measures of health. You know, a lot of people talk about the scale and the scale can be an accurate um kind of measure, I think sometimes if you kind of compare it on a consistent, you know, if you kind of look at many months, if you if you have a goal or something and you see and you want um, overall trends, like I don't think a scale is a good indicator of health per se, because we fluctuate so much in our weight all the time because of our cycles, if you're a woman, because of what you ate the night before, if you exercised, if your muscles have extra glycogen, if you're holding water weight, if you're just bloated, if you haven't gone to the bathroom, uh, things like that. I mean, day-to-day scale isn't really a good measure, but if you, let's say you have a goal of weight loss or weight gain and you want to see an overall trend, then yes, the scale might be a good measure. Um, but again, it really says nothing about health either because the thing that will tell you how healthy you are and what I think is the best measure of health is your body fat percentage. That's going to tell you kind of the ratio of muscle to fat in your body. And for women, a healthy range is about 21 to 33%. Um, You're considered quote unquote healthy if you fall in that range. 21% is pretty lean. Um, Falling as a woman, falling below 20 is very difficult. That's when you start seeing like six packs, like around 14 to 19%. Um, cause if you think about it, if you look at your body fat percentage, it's literally measuring how much bo- um, body fat is on your body. So we have muscle mass and in order to see muscles, to see definition and whatever people get their body fat percentage down really low. So what you see are the muscles that live underneath it. So people that women that have a really low body fat percentage, they worked really hard to get there. Like you have to be really deliberate um, to get to a really low body fat percentage. I personally am not really interested in getting um, that low. Uh, I have no idea what my body fat percentage is, um, maybe in the low low 20s. Um, but 
I, I think that that is a greater measure of health. And I think as another side note, talking about weight, let's say somebody changes their body composition. Again, body composition has to do with um, fat to muscle ratio too, and the fat and muscle percentages. So let's say somebody is trying to uh, gain muscle and lose fat, they might not lose any weight. So at the end of a health journey, you might see two people look completely different or the same person, sorry, look completely different. And they haven't lost any weight, but they have increased muscle and they have lost fat. So again, it, this is, you know, if you look at this question, it's kind of like, it depends, maybe um, that, you know, it really depends on the person to person. But overall, I would say the body fat percentage is the greatest health indicator. And I have heard, and I think that the DEXA scan is the most accurate measure. There's like the little pinchy thing on your arm. You can do the bod pod where you're submerged in water. But I've heard from many friends and trainers, and I've even done my own research that the DEXA scan is the most accurate. It does a full scan of your body and you're able to see it. You can Google it to see if it's in your area. And yeah, I think that it's good maybe to know, um, like if you're going on, um, you know, some health journey and you want to lose body fat, then perhaps you can kind of do it at your starting point and then do it maybe at the end of three months. These changes take a long time to see. If you really want to change your body composition and you really want to go on that sort of journey, know that it takes kind of a long time to to do it and it's not a quick fix to to do that and you know I would measure it in in over a long trend like I said before and not from a day-to-day basis so hope that answered your question the next question is about movement after health issues what do you do when you feel completely out of the groove so this happens to a lot of people In my community, I have a lot of people that have suffered health issues, whether it's an autoimmune disease or they have an injury or whatever it is. We've all gone through something that's kind of put a dent in our health issues and, I mean, sorry, in our movement goals and things like that. We all go through that. I've hurt my knee so many times. I had digestive issues for a really long time that uh, rendered me kind of... um, not like incapacitated or whatever, but like I could not move in really intense ways. So I think that if you're going through that, first of all, it's completely normal to feel out of sorts and to feel like you're stuck in that place. It probably feels like you're going to be in that place forever. And that's really, really, really common. I just need to tell you that um, if you come out of a period of being sedentary that's kind of become habitual, you know, and it is very easy to not move. I mean, if it were up to me, I I wouldn't move. I'm lazy and I don't want to move, but I kind of do it anyways. And I want to offer some tips uh, that you can do in this situation if you are dealing with this. Uh, First of all, first, you know, there's so many exercises out there, so many different things that you can do 
don't put pressure on yourself to do something that you're going to hate and that's going to make you miserable. So like if you hate high intensity stuff, don't do CrossFit. If you hate yoga, um, don't go to yoga. Like you don't have to force yourself to do anything that you don't want to do just because someone else is doing it or whatever. Like think to yourself, what makes me happy? What makes me feel alive? And that's really the point of movement. It's really to come alive in your body and movement, of course, it gives us, um, you know, it can change our bodies if that's our goal. We can become healthier with movement. But I really think of movement as a foundation for life because some days, I mean, I, I kind of share on Instagram and in my blog and stuff that movement is really important to me. But some days I wake up and I feel like Satan. And I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, ugh, you know, like going to the gym or going on a walk is just like the last thing I want to do right now. And like I said, I feel like the devil. And then I move and I'm like, wow, like I'm actually kind of a nice person. (laughs) It just completely changes not only the way your body feels, but the way your brain feels. It makes you more productive. So knowing that this thing can give us all of these effects and, you know, kind of create such a positive impact in our lives, then I think that it is a priority that we need to make for ourselves. So again, find something that you like to do and who cares what it is at the beginning. Right now, your point in these, you know, I think that if you've been um, moving for a long time and it becomes a habit, it's kind of easier to wake up every day and and do it just because if it's just because it's a habit. But if you're in that rut, realize that for the first couple days, you're really going to have to use that willpower and, um, and kind of rely on that to get yourself out there to do something. And I think the easiest way to do this is to just do it like Nike totally got it right, is just to go through the motions. Um, If you're going on a walk, like just put your shoes on, put your clothes on and just get outside. Tell yourself that you're, that you only have to do something for 15 minutes, but I guarantee you that once you get out there and you start moving for 15 minutes, that it's going to be, become a lot easier for you to maybe go for half an hour or 45 minutes or something longer, because the hardest part of doing anything is just starting that's with writing, with exercising, with accomplishing a goal. Like it's not hard for me, for example, to write, but it's hard for me to sit down to write and start. So starting is always the hardest part of everything, I think. And if you, again, kind of make a mental note of, okay, I'm going to put my shoes on. I'm going to put my clothes on. You can get some cute workout clothes that fit. Like that really, really helps getting things that make you look cute and and that are functional as well. I'm not a fan of um, impractical workout clothing, but go through the motions in the beginning and do something that you don't dread and try things out. Um, Be open and flexible towards what you are going to do for your exercise. Another thing that helps is that I know that Jerry Seinfeld back in the day 
when he was a comedian, he put an X down every day. I think that he did a set for comedy. And I'm not sure if that's right, but I know that he like every time he did something, he put an X on it and he had a calendar in his room. And that really motivated him to continue going because he was like, I don't want a blank one. <laughs> you know, I have all these beautiful X's and that gives you a sense of accomplishment. That gives you a sense of, yeah, I can do this. I'm capable. And that really develops that confidence again to to really get you out of that group, you know, get you out of that rut. And it is totally possible to get out of it. That's life. Ebb and flow in and out, but you kind of want to maintain a general movement practice throughout that time. So I think tracking and writing down somewhere, maybe in a journal or in a calendar that you have, or even in your phone, I know there's habit trackers, is to just write down, yes, I did this today. And once you start accruing those um, sessions that you do, you'll find that your um, propensity to continue to move is really um, alive and, and thriving. Another thing is, I think motivation is bullshit completely. Motivation is finite. We have fine, and so is willpower, even though I mentioned it at the beginning. And I mentioned willpower because that's what's going to kickstart you on that first day when you're coming out of that rut. Motivation is crap. Um, This is not a popular opinion, but I think it's a true opinion. How can we rely on motivation to do the shit that we need to do in life? We can't, like, I feel like I'm being really tough lovey right now, but I wish somebody would have told me this because I, for a long time, right now I have a really established movement practice, but back in, you know, a long time ago, I would wait to be motivated. I'm like, well, you know what? I don't feel motivated today, so I'm just not going to go. I never feel like working out, even to this day. I Like I said, I love the after effects, but and the impacts that it has on my life, but those mornings that I'm feeling like Satan... I never want to go ever. There are some days I wake up and I'm like, woo, feel a little happy. I want to work out today. But for the most part, no. But the thing is that I know how I'm going to feel afterwards. So I just realize and rely on, and I think it's important to cultivate this loving discipline. Like I said in the first podcast, it isn't about being a drill sergeant, but to kind of talk to yourself in a really gentle way and say, you know what, Ashley? You don't want to move right now. Your body feels creaky, like it needs some WD-40. But you know that once you get moving, you're going to feel so much better. The Satan is going to come out of your brain and the whole day is going to be amazing. So I think that we need to cultivate a loving discipline and not rely on motivation. If we rely on motivation, that other voice that says, nah, that takes you off the hook, it's poisonous. It really is. We need to develop another voice inside of us that pushes us a little bit to take action. Um, So we establish something that we want to do. We established the tracking. um, We established that we can't rely on motivation. I think it's important when you're coming from, you know, coming back from health issues that you do something appropriate to where you are right now. So don't push yourself too much, you know, be pretty gentle. But at the same time, I think it's really awesome when you are in this sort of journey that you establish some goals. It's so amazing what our bodies can do. I'm not even talking about like how much weight you can lift or whatever, but like not being able to do 
a headstand in yoga and then doing it is, you know, it's not really the point to do that, but it's cool. And that gives you that sense of, whoa, look what I can do. And my body is amazing. So I think it's really important to be able to set little goals. Like, can I do a pull-up? Can I, you know, yesterday I walked for half an hour. Can I walk for 45 minutes and then an hour and then maybe an hour and 15 minutes? Can I maybe do 10,000 steps per day? I think that's a really good uh, goal to have every day. It's kind of a lot of walking, but I really think that walking is super important. Even if you just walk, I think that that's an appropriate exercise. A lot of people are saying, and the research is saying too, that really intense cardio doesn't really do what it's, um, I guess, what people think it will. It can kind of be more detrimental. So lots of things that you can do for exercise. Make sure that you can set your goals and that you kind of keep your eye on the prize of feeling better and getting back home to yourself. Because once you establish that practice, you're going to be like, F, yeah, I'm incredible and I can do anything and I'm the shit. So movement, you guys go move if you haven't today. Um, okay, so I think I have time for one or two more questions. So this question is really near and dear to my heart and something that I struggled with for a really long time. And I know a lot of you might struggle with this out there. And that's about our social life and how do we balance a social life with staying healthy or doing what's best for us. It was really beautiful how this um, person uh, worded this question. How do I find the balance between food as a social act of closeness and exploration versus doing what I need to do for myself? Wow, such a hard struggle. And like I said, I struggled with this for so long because yes, nothing is better. And even to this day, I believe this, nothing is better than hanging out with people and having some awesome food like it's the oh my god my dog is barking um it is the best and amazing and that's really what food is for to congregate with loved ones and to be used as a facilitator of camaraderie and not to mention how good does it feel to just like eat a bunch of really delicious things with people you love it's the best but i want you to realize that Food is the vehicle here, but it's not actually the thing that creates the closeness. So kind of think about that, that it's the vehicle, but it's not actually the thing that creates the closeness. I used to think that it was the thing that created the closeness, but it's not. It's the actual connection that you have with those people that you're being social with. And that's really important to realize and to kind of think about to yourself like wow like it wasn't actually like the lasagna I'm just saying that because I recently had people over and we had lasagna but um, it it wasn't actually that it's really actually the connection that I have with that person so it really is not about the food I know in the moment it might feel like it but it's really the conversation the affection the love that you share with whoever you are sharing your meal with some things that you can do in this situation were, for example, I think that she's saying that she might go somewhere, be around people or um, have food that doesn't align with how she wants to feel, but she might feel pressured to eat it 
because she wants to and because there's people there. But in another, um, you know, some ways that you can kind of prepare yourself for this. Can you bring a food that works for you maybe? That's something that I do all the time. Many of you know that I don't eat everything. Um, I have a lot of things that don't work for me. So I bring food a lot of the time. Um, Let's say you're going somewhere with a group of people. Can you suggest something that does work for you? Can you suggest a restaurant or a place that that will work for food that is aligned to, to the way that you want to feel? Let's say you're going to somebody's house. This can get really awkward and and weird but you need to if you feel strong enough you need to let your host know beforehand um that you might not that you can't eat the the food that's being served or you know what if you go somewhere and you just don't want to eat the food you don't have to like i really don't think that that's that rude um you really need to do what's best for you and another bit of tough love here but if you go somewhere and you eat something that you know doesn't work for you because you want you don't want to disappoint somebody or you don't want to be rude you're putting that other person's feelings before your own and I really think that we need to put ourselves first put our feelings first of course if it's like a once in a while thing that you're having this amazing meal that somebody cooked you know it's going to kind of make you feel like shit then whatever like you can do that every once in a while, but like if you have social things like several times per week, then and you're eating things that don't align with the way that you want to feel, then you do need to do something and take some action to to create a way of eating that will work for you in which you can also be around people. So also if there's something else that maybe you don't want to eat. Oh God, my dog is so annoying. I don't know if you guys can hear her. <laughs> Um, but if you have something there that let's say you, you might think you might overeat or overindulge, can you just taste it? Can you eat that thing really mindfully and then just move on? A lot of times we beat ourselves up for certain things that we eat and that's just completely unproductive because it creates the cycle of like the diet and binge cycle and it's just really not good. Now, if you're eating things all the time that still make you feel like crap and you're still doing it, then that's a relationship with food thing that you really need to evaluate. Um, Like, why am I actually doing this thing? You can journal about it. You can sit in silence and um, you know, not like in purgatory or something, um, or like you're in timeout, but like, just really think to yourself, like rationally, like have a conversation with yourself and be like, this makes me feel like crap and shit. And why am I still eating it if it makes me feel like shit? And that's something that I went through when I was kind of transitioning from, you know, eating everything to really limiting my diet because I know it made me feel better. And I think for a lot of us that really love food and love eating with other people, we use that ability to eat everything as a source of our identity. And that was definitely the case for me. I mean, I used to, I mean, I still make a stuff, make um, things, make everything, but 
I used to be like, you know, want to be known and was known super carefree, go out to dinner with her. She's like the funnest person. She'll eat everything. She'll try everything. And that was definitely 100% part of my identity, definitely with all my friends and partners and with my family. It was like, you know, I was the food girl. And then like the chef, food girl, baker, extraordinaire, like that was me. And then, and that was really a big part of my relationships. And then realizing that you can't eat a lot of stuff. And then, you know, I, I really just felt diminished in my identity at the beginning. And I've learned now that it's been five years and I feel very comfortable in where I'm at and I'm very um, vocal about what I eat and what I don't eat. And, you know, it really doesn't matter what other people are eating. It really doesn't. I remember when Derek and I first did our Whole30 together, you know, he eats everything and he's the most amazing supportive partner with um, kind of navigating the way that I eat and you know, so incredibly supportive. But when we did our first Whole30 together, I think it was after dating, I don't know, maybe a year or something. I expected him to do a Whole30, feel amazing, and then just eat the way that I eat forever. Like, he's just going to eat the way I eat. And that was like my goal. And like, he's going to do the Whole30. He's going to feel so good. And we're just going to eat the same way forever. And that's incredible. That didn't happen. (laughs) Right after our whole 30, he went to eating everything again. But that was an extremely unfair expectation of mine. And there's so many times that I've been at restaurants or, you know, dinners with friends or family where I can't eat a lot of the stuff that's served there. And it really used to get to me. But you have to just keep remembering that food and what you eat has nothing to do with the relationships around you. Nobody cares. And if people do care, then F those people. I don't know. <laughs> it was kind of mean. Maybe not. But um, you don't have to be friends with those people. Um, people should be understanding of the way that you eat and kind of what works for you. So I really hope that those tools helped with that. And one last question. I have time for just one more. Um, This question was about what can I do when other people around me have opinions of my body? And this is a really popular question because we know that many times it can be... um, Many people like to comment and say things about bodies, whether you, oh my God, you lost weight, you gained weight, whatever. Everybody loves to comment about those types of things. And I always think of, and and this really used to affect me. If you listen to the podcast I did with my mom last week, she used to comment on my body all the time. And then one day I just got sick of it and I set a boundary with her and I was like, you can't talk to me about my body anymore, ever you can never say anything about my body. And she respected that boundary. And it allowed us to have this awesome relationship that we have now. So if somebody's coming to you and saying something, you need to tell them. And I don't care if it's your mom. Um, you need to tell them that you're not down with that. 
and that's not okay for you and you won't tolerate it. I I feel like I'm <laughs> I feel like this is a really like tough love episode, but a lot of the things that surround food and our relationship with food do have to do with kind of what I said at the beginning, the spirituality and inhabiting that potential to be this new person that you're going to be. And food and our relationships kind of are the vehicle to teach us that. But, you know, you are capable of telling people how to treat you. You dictate that. Everyone around you, you know, has to treat you in a way that you find acceptable and loving. And if somebody's making comments, then maybe distance yourself for a little bit. Be very honest with them and let them know how it's affecting you. Like, hey, it's not okay for you to comment on my body. Like, it's really not okay. And something else that I want to bring up that's very important is I always think of Byron Katie's work. If you guys haven't heard of her, I strongly suggest you looking her up. She has, I think uh, she has a free, some free stuff on her website that you can kind of see the framework of the work, this thing that she came up with a series of questions that you can ask yourself. And uh, she got herself out of like this really long depression that she was in by using this framework that she created. And it's about asking the truth in situations. And it's also about knowing what is your business. So there's three types of business. There's your business, there's their business, you know, so other people's business, and then there's God's business. So you're not cool with that word, just like shit that you can't control. That's God's business. That's something else. Um, So you take care of your business, the way you feel, the way you react, the way that you take things in that's your business. The opinions that you formulate, other people's business, their shit, God's business. And all you need to worry about is your business. That's it. If somebody else is making a comment about your body, it says nothing about your body. It says everything about them and the way they are taking your body to be out of their lens, out of the way that, you know, the windows of their eyes that they see the world. That is how they are taking it and they're taking it out on you. So whenever anybody, and this comes back to Don Miguel Ruiz, who wrote the four agreements, it's not personal. That's one of his four agreements. It's not personal. So if somebody says a comment about you, they're talking about themselves. It's their business and can't worry about it. It's so much easier said than done, right? If only we couldn't worry about what other people, especially the people close to us thought about us, life would be a lot easier, but it's not really the point to make things easy, even though we want to. And that only comes from me wanting to think that things had to be easy all the time, but by putting in work, by putting in effort to be the people that, you know, we want to be. Um, it's really worth it. And just remember that, that it's not your business, their business, their opinions. If you listen to Melissa Hartwig, she calls it the lamp. She's the creator of the whole 30. She calls it the lamp and, and their business. 
if I have to say business one more time, I feel like I've said it many times. Um, and there's my dog again. <laughs> um, so those are the four questions that I had time for today. And as we finish, I want to read the Richard Rohr quote and leave you guys with that. If you have time, please take a moment. It really only takes five minutes to leave a review and subscribe to this podcast. I hope you give me a five-star review, Um, but you can just do it from your phone. Just leave a rating and review. It really helps not only um, for other people to see that it has a, a good rating, but so that the iTunes store can rank it and rate it and it can gain more exposure. So here is the quote from Richard Rohr. It's from his book, Falling Upward, which I highly recommend. I listened to it a couple months ago and I think about that book every day. We grow spiritually much more by doing it wrong than by doing it right. That might just be the central message of how spiritual growth happens, yet nothing in us wants to believe it. I actually think it is the only workable meaning of any remaining notion of original sin. There seems to have been a fly in the ointment from the beginning, but the key is recognizing and dealing with the fly rather than needing to throw out the whole ointment. If there is such a thing as human perfection, it seems to emerge precisely from how we handle the imperfection that is everywhere, especially our own. What a clever place for God to hide holiness so that only the humble and earnest will find it. So I wanted to share that quote because, you know, I think a lot of us really think that perfection and accomplishment is the goal, but it's not. Um, It's in our failures and in our fallings that we learn, that we grow. So I just want you to remember that if you're going through anything right now, that it's going to put you in a better place one day. I promise everything does get better. And with that, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day or night or whatever. And be sure to tune in next week. Bye.